0: Tell me your soldier's story. If you're an airman, coast guardsman, marine or sailor, tell me your story. We're all ears to learn from your journey. What worked in your favor? What trappings should we avoid? Me, I share this list of 10 things in hopes that you'll avoid the mistakes that I made that brought me to the realization of their value. Number one, a human receives two educations the one given to them and the one they give themselves. Demand the best of both. Number two, everything worth having in life is free. Be careful of those who monetize your love, your health and your knowledge. Number three, love, that's the answer. Translating the question so all can understand that's your problem. Number four, health is a trinity of mind, body and spirit and wealth is the karma of what you do with them. Pursuing the monetized while neglecting the free things in life will leave you poor, sick, and lonely. Number five, knowledge, it's power. And with power comes great responsibility. Number six, everything in life is a mirror. Look for beauty and beauty is what you'll find. Look for flaws, surely. Flaws are what you will find. So look long and look deep. Number seven, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The beholder is you. So again, look long and look deep. Number eight, paying it forward. It's as important as saving for a rainy day because the investment you make in others, it pays in perpetuity. Number nine, truth, facts, and principles are constants that change. So never be so tied to constants that you can't change. And number 10, the list of life is never complete. Start making a list, cross things off, celebrate, and then get back to making another list. The key is never skipping Celebration This month, Team Army's back, dropping knowledge from the foxhole. Take a listen. I'd like to welcome Colonel Khaled B. Shabazz, chaplain to the 3rd Lieutenant. Colonel Shabazz is a 1992 graduate of Jarvis Christian College with a Bachelor's of Science in Biology. He holds a Master's of Interfaith Action from Claremont University, a Master's of Comparative Religion from Hartford Seminary, a master's of philosophy and ethics from Ducant University, a master's of higher education leadership from Trident University International, and a master's in strategic studies from the Army War College. Kaplan Shabazz has a doctorate of ministry from North Texas Theological Seminary. He received his PhD in higher education administration from Trident University International in 2008, and Dr. Shabazz is a member of the Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. Colonel Shabazz's military assignments include Brigade Chaplain of the 1st Cavalry Division, Fort Hood, Texas, AFN Radio and STRATCOM Officer in Heidelberg, Germany, U.S. Army Ethics Instructor at the Captain's Career Course at Fort Seal, Oklahoma, and Senior Advisor to the Commanding General on All Religious Affairs at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Currently, Colonel Shabazz serves as the Command Chaplain at U.S. Army Central Command. Wow, there's so much. And I'm reading most of your bio from a book, but there's so much that isn't in this book, sir.
1: Yeah, that book is 2008 when I was struggling with my own self-esteem. So I wrote a book and researched that for about five years. Since that time, I've gotten another PhD and three more master's degrees, so
0: (laughs) So, (laughs) So I'm running off the page with this bio. So Chaplain, let's start with, tell me your soldier story.
1: My soldier story, I came in the Army in 1991, reeling off a horrific life. I mean, you can't even believe some of the stuff that I'm probably going to tell you. So I want to I back up to that before you get to the soldier stuff, and then you can understand the traumatic things that happened to me as a soldier. So i molested at 10 years old because of the molestation. Really had really, really poor self-esteem. So a special education in the 8th grade, failed the ninth grade, and then failed the 12th grade. Okay, so I got to go to college because, you know, I'm 6'5", 265 pounds. So I went to college to play sports, but I still was dealing with a lot of, you know, traumatic stuff. You know, talk about PTSD. It was a traumatic event for me as a young boy getting molested. So went to college, thrown in jail a couple of times for fighting and disorderly conduct. So I was expelled from school. So what do African-Americans do as a last resort? Sometimes as a first resort, we go to the army, right? So I went to the army to get some discipline. However, I joined in 1991. Before 1992 happened, came in, I had my second Article 15 chapter paperwork in hand. I'm getting ready to get out, go out the door. And honestly, wife and two kids had never really achieve anything besides bouncing a basketball or sports. So I decided unfortunately I was going to kill myself because they deserved somebody better. I was probably about an hour away from doing that and uh, Sergeant Major came over and offered me a knowledge branch to work for him and to be his driver and he was going to coach and mentor me to be a man first and then you know hopefully work out to be a soldier well uh in that time where he was building me to be a man and a soldier i was in build artillery as we just talked about it and in that time i was sitting on my track 109 Howitzer, and i saw off in the distance you know this chaplain dude I was like oh my god please I don't want that dude to come and talk to me I got enough problems in my life please god please and uh, as god would have it he came over uh, to talk to me and he ministered to me for about an hour and he said you know you're a very intelligent guy you're passionate about people why don't you become a chaplain (laughs) and I kind of looked at him like you know, as the old old saying, bless his heart, because he, he, he don't know how bad I am. Right? So, so, but uh, as that seed permeated, you know, about three years later, I decided to come into the chaplaincy. And from that time, on 1997 to now, it's just my life exponentially has taken off. As you said in the introduction, you know, I went to... You know get a master's degree in divinity and then I felt, still felt inadequate so I went to get you know a couple of more master's degrees the doctorate degree and I was you know in this officer realm right but you're still the chaplain so you the chaplain is always kind of left out you know so the old problem with self-esteem was coming back and I'm like I'm not really on the team. They only call me when somebody's in trouble, when somebody needs to, you know, be counseled. You know, I'm not really a part of the team. I'm not part of the, the structure. So I was going into a tailspin. So this time, uh, as a as a, a older person, I decided to research on self-esteem. And so that book that you have in your hand is five years of research about self-esteem. And so after I I garnered some self-esteem, I decided to go back to school and get a, another doctorate and two more masters degrees just trying to build myself work and so that in itself is my story of my soldier's story <laughs>
0: that's that's amazing and there's a lot there yeah. I think the way we always frame it is there's a lot there to unpack right Travis
1: yes, yes that, is, that is
0: so i i often refer to the nco officer relationship as two halves of a whole And when you're in command with the XO, holy trinity. And I never interjected into that, the chaplain. That is always a step or two behind the commander. What is the value of the chaplain, the role, the advisement to every commander?
1: Well, I think what commanders have to realize is every chaplain in that organization is probably the most educated person in that command. Every chaplain in the Army has to have the minimum of a master's degree, okay? So by not incorporating the chaplain, and I'm not saying the chaplain can stop all suicides, but at least he or she is a preventative measure, but the, but the chaplain has been minimized. You know, I liken the chaplain to a kicker on a football team. Nobody ever pays attention to him or her until it's the last second, and they need to kick the ball through the uprights. And if he makes it, he's a hero. If he doesn't, the chaplain is worthless. Right? Our chaplains come in older, so we may not be as good in PT as the young, you know, lieutenant or captain. So again, another part of being marginalized. If the commander could sit down and actually tap into the chaplain's brain, man, what an asset he could be for that command.
0: Mm. I haven't had the luxury of of commanding yet, but I hope to in the future. As a matter of fact, we were talking about my next assignment off the record between me and you. Nobody else has to know. Field artillery. <laughs> yes. Um, I am a little taken back. I, I am always up for a challenge. And everyone that knows me knows that that I go hard. Uh, but, I, you know, I want people to like me. I, w- I want to come into a situation yes. and and be and feel welcomed. So I'm going to ask yes. you to be a mentor, because I know you have quite a bit of experience as a Mustang going from enlisted to an officer in field artillery. Yes. yes. So how does field artillery fight?
1: Yeah, field artillery, I won't say alphas, but they're definitely alpha minuses. And field artillery... Wait,
0: wait, wait. Alpha minus. Please elaborate.
1: Yeah, alpha minus. You got you got your special forces, guys. You got your infantry above us. They are absolutely alpha dogs plus macho machismo. So field artillery is just a little step down from that, right? They are competent in what they do, but they're still physical people, right? And you can be mildly competent but you have to be physical right you know this is this is the army this is the unwritten rule in the army so you can go in there as an outsider you know, like I did as a chaplain because I was still artillery before but I went in as a chaplain and I was a big physical dude to get out after do PT you know even if you're not the fastest person or the best person you're out there sweating and grinding and you're not you're not complaining, as we say. They always say, "Give me some cheese with that wine." You know, if you're a whiner, no matter what the situation. And I, I, nobody knows this, but I'm a little prissy, right? <laughs> I, I like to, I like to be a little clean. But in the field, I was just I just bared it out, you know. And when I got back home, I was like, "Oh my God, I never want to go out there again." But you know, when when you're dealing with the field artillery, you know, there's folks. no room for whining out there. They'll, they'll push you aside. You know, honestly. So you just you just stuck it up, as we say in the Army, and go on with your life. Go back home and, you know, fire about it when you're at home.
0: I hear you. The message is getting through, Chaplain. Yeah. Let's do this. What's the advice? New officer coming into a unit, staff section. Get my mind right. Get my mind right. You're,
1: you're coming into a new unit. It is super important that you understand who you are. And, and what I mean by that is you, you have to be authentic to yourself. Let, let's, let's unpack that. Like I know for myself, I have a learning disability. So being authentic to myself, I can't go around, you know, if the other officer reads a book and it takes him 30 minutes, I can't get all down on myself because it's going to take me four hours and I got to read it over and over and over again so I can understand it. I gotta be authentically me and say, okay, he's he's a superstar. He's a superstar. I'm gonna have to go home and study this thing, tab this thing, and understand who I am so the next day I could be confident, right? Understanding who you are authentically is, yeah, it's like in field artillery units, and this has nothing to do with morality. They big drinkers, right? If you don't drink, don't compromise yourself to be one of the folks. I used to sit with them while they drank. I used to sit with them while they did big cigars. Hey, chap, man, come on, man. you wanted one of the guys, man. You know. So anyway, I never compromised that. Hey, I love you guys. Let me hang out with you guys, but I'm not doing that. So my, my point to that is, if you don't understand who you are, those in any profession, they'll eat you alive. And you're depressed, and you're lonely, and then you're, you're so compromised, but... You compromise and you're lonely because you're inauthentic to yourself. When you understand who you are, you can walk in there as an African-American woman and say, this is who I am. I'm not a Marathoner. I don't do 10,000 push-ups because I'm trying to be one of the guys. I'm going to do my best and be who I am. And and lastly, you guys know more than me. Please teach me. Let me be humble enough to receive the instruction you're going to get culturally. We don't want people to think that we're dumb. So we miss a lot of information by not being humble enough. Not, see, that's what humble is. We miss a lot of information that lets somebody teach us, even if they're the same grade as you, to let them teach you so you'll be competent enough to stand before your commander, or your troops when it's time to show that, that you, you're worthy of the position. And so I've had people who were even the same grade as me. I call other colonels now, like, hey, man, you know, I don't understand A, B, C, and D. And they probably on the, at the end of the call, like, oh, he's calling me again, right? But I understand who I am and I need the information and I need to be confident. So, you know, you got to be humble enough to do that.
0: I think that's important because everybody has talent, everyone has value, and everyone yes. has something to contribute to the fight. And it may take a little longer for you to identify what your tool or what your contribution is. And it's okay to wait. It's okay to take from the table while everyone has their contribution out for the taking. And, and when that opportunity comes for you to contribute, it'll be when, where, and basically how they need it.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things Albert Einstein said, which is phenomenal, he said, everybody is a genius, right? But you got to know what you're a genius in. Like LeBron James can't come as great as he is as a basketball player. He can't come and be an imam right now because he hadn't been trained. So I'm greater than him in that sense. I can't go out tomorrow and play against the Houston Rockets and try to be him. That's his field. That's who he is. So that's what I'm talking about going to this principle of authenticity. Once you understand who you are, I don't walk around with bad self-esteem because I'm not not—I'm not a commander. I can't do what commanders do. I'm not a commander. I've not been trained in that, right? So I don't go out and give detailed battle plans and send people different courses of action on the battlefield. That's not who I am. I'm a chaplain. I do religious support plans. You know, I take care of people. I do services. I'm good with that, right? Because <laughs> that's who I am. And so... A lot of people just have a lot of self-worth problems, but they want to be somebody other than who they are. So,
0: yes. when a warrior comes to mind, whether that's a sailor, soldier, marine, airman, even coast guardsman, most people don't think warrior equates to chaplain. Right. The mental picture the average person gets of a chaplain is meek, godly man, quiet. Yeah. That's yeah. that's not that's not you.
1: That's not me. Because one of the things I wanted to do is transform the position of the chaplain into a warrior. You know, when you read in all of the scriptures, whether Bible, Quran, or Torah, you know, the prophets were not meek in the sense of, I'm just going around, you know, praying for everybody. You know, sometimes they had to be very strong, super intelligent, and very wise people. And then, you know, in the Army, we call it leading from the front. You know, I, I just want to be meek and humble. Meek and humble doesn't mean being a trailer in the rear. Meek and humble is sometimes using your resources to get people where you are. And to get people where you are, you have to be out front. And so when you see me on the treadmill and you know lifting weights, that's where my soldiers are. And so my soldiers absolutely love me, right? Because they can identify with me because I'm in there sweating. That's a built artillery thing. I'm in there sweating and running with them, lifting weights, running, and they can identify with that. So when they have problems, they'll come to me. Unfortunately, on the other side of that, if you just got some holy guy, a holy gal, you know, sitting in the church, mosque, or synagogue and saying, you know, this is what God thinks, you know, they're like, man, I'm not going to that dude. I'm telling you, they're not They're not coming. You know, and so for me, I wanted to be confident enough to change the paradigm. I get a lot of I get a lot of flack for it, but I know what's best for my soldiers because they, they come to me. And I, I mentor a lot of people who are not chaplains and for that reason, because I'm a, a physical person and kind of out front leading, leading pack.
0: And I think that that's that may not be the only way. It's definitely a way. It's a way. It is a way. So you talked about your faith. And I know just from previous conversation that that hasn't been an easy road for you. How do you reconcile the perception of your faith and your uniform?
1: Yeah, for, for me, you know, my job is, you know, I shouldn't say my job. My life mission is to meet people where they at. So I never lead a conversation or leave a conversation with my religion because religion is personal. What I want to do for people who come to me, I want you to leave stronger when you leave me than than when you come to me. One of the great things uh, about me was, is, you know, I was a Christian pastor, and now I'm an imam. So I have a doctorate in both fields. So when you come to me, we can talk about your scripture, what your scripture says about being strong, what your scripture says about having faith, what your scripture talks about as far an enduring test, right? I think, I think that gives me a, a sizable advantage when I'm dealing with all people because at the end of the day, I care about you. I, don't, I may not believe what you believe, but I believe in you. And I think that's most important. I think a lot of people who are religious, I think we're a little bit too arrogant to think that we know everything and a person can only communicate with you if they believe what you believe. I think that's absolutely wrong.
0: Well, one of the things that, uh, that I open the podcast with is truth, facts, and principles are constants that change. Never be so tied to constants that you can't change. I, I actually was raised in the Department of Defense school system, Dodd school system. And uh, I remember when Pluto was a planet. <laughs> and now <laughs> they're telling us it's something else. And, and as I get older, more wise, I'm like you. And coming into new situations where I'm about to enter a new unit. Oh, here comes this junior captain. And and I I love to yeah. learn. And I love to learn from others because I believe that you don't have to make all the mistakes. You don't have to put all the points on the board.
1: Absolutely not. You know, there's an old saying that smart people make mistakes and learn from them. Intelligent people look at the mistakes of others and don't make them.
0: Mm. It'll save you a lot of gray hair. It'll save you a lot of stress.
1: That's right. That's
0: So you talked about having two Article 50s. You talked about having two children. And I know just from your social media that your wife is a huge supporter. Talk to me about relationships, especially yeah. that relationship with those so close to you and the importance of that.
1: Yeah, relationships are everything. They're everything to me because I started out in such a traumatic situation where relationships were almost non-existent, and people didn't necessarily show love. So one of the things I wanted to do when I changed my life around, and I know most people have a hard problem with this, my definition of a perfect marriage is two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other, right? right? And so as a husband, you know, my job is to be tender and care for my wife you know some guys would probably grow up but i don't criticize my wife i don't you know she gets she gets so much flack from the world for being a woman uh, positions are devalued you know her intellect is always challenged you know i want to provide a source of peace for her when she comes home you know i want to cater to her i want to serve her and do everything i can for her so in relationships you know I, I think you have to do what the person needs right it shouldn't be about you and don't get me wrong i had to learn from that same thing for my children i serve my children they need something they don't have to have a long speech for me dad i need 300 okay i'm gonna give it to you dad i need this for this okay i'm gonna give it to you you know it's amazing to me how nice we are to others right but our own we get these long speeches such disappointing in you, why you didn't do this. But other people don't get those type of speeches. So for me, I wanted to change the paradigm and be soft and gentle with my children. Now they know I'm a strong man, but they understand that my dad is gonna support me if I'm doing the right thing. I'm not gonna support them if they're doing the wrong thing. But if they're doing the right thing, I'm gonna support them. So they never have to worry about me telling them no on things that they need, right? So uh, I think they, they absolutely love me for that. And they don't abuse that because they know I'm not a pushover, but I am a person that is absolutely 100% in that corner for anything that they need. I didn't have that growing up. And so I provide that for them. There's a couple
0: of things that you said that really resonate with me and in it makes me think about those men or women that have children or have a spouse that wants or even needs, but they don't have to give and how that can hurt, especially if they wanna give. And I think just trying to protect themselves may say, no, I'm not gonna give it to you. But what may be happening behind the scenes, they don't have to give.
1: Right.
0: What that can do to the esteem. Of course.
1: And I think our job, you know, love can't throw in the shade. I think our job as partners, right, whatever wherever your spouse is or any relationship that you're in, is to increase that person's self-esteem, to increase that person's self-worth. I think sometimes we have such poor self-worth, you know, we try to diminish that person to keep a hold on them, to control them. But why don't we try the other side of that? Let me give 1,000% to this person, let me love this person how they should be loved. And maybe if I do that, they'll love themselves enough to give me that type of love back. But I think at least what I found in 28 years of counseling and marriage, people are so afraid to do that because they're afraid the person's going to leave. Right? If the person leaves, my, my philosophy is, hey, listen, I gave 110%. Once you walk out that door, don't come back. I'll give somebody else my love because you weren't worthy of that. And that's the strong part of me. But the tender part of me is I'm gonna give you everything that I can to make sure that you're happy because you got enough you got enough to deal with outside of me, right And so let me let me make your your house a source of peace for you.
0: Tell you what Chaplain Fberg Colonel too. there are some women, some, some some female soldiers that I'm sure are shaking their head right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure.
0: <laughs> so I, I don't know how true this is. Everything you see on Facebook can't be true, right? There was a a posting female officer posted and said that Black female officers have the lowest suicide. I don't know how true that is, but I know coming up on on some opportunities to create awareness for suicide prevention, and you yourself have some speaking engagements in the near future. What's, What's the message that you're sending that isn't just words on a paper and you know in front of a mic at a podium but the message that you really want to get through
1: the message for me is being authentic to who you are now you, you have to find out who that is you know everybody said I'm, I'm just doing me and my question always is well who are you right you know, so my my message is always it's like the book you have in your hand it's about self-esteem. If you never had self-esteem, you don't have self-awareness. You don't have what we call in the academic world locus of control, which means autonomy over you. You don't even know who you are, so you can't be who you're supposed to be. So what what I do is I show people the realm of possibility. Right? I'm just a guy who was in special education in the eighth grade, who is now full colonel, with two doctor degrees, five master degrees, author of four books. And still out here grinding. I'm showing them, and I'm just a regular guy. You know, it's nothing special about me, but my work ethic and my goals. So often I tell the young guys that I'm talking to, and they say, this applies to everybody I said, I can bet you, I don't even know you, I can bet you you waste at least six hours a day. At least, Because right? they always say, hey, wouldn't you sleep? As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with a Officer and he, he asked me, say, When do you sleep with all that education? You know, I sleep as much as anybody else. But those six or seven hours that you're wasting, I'm probably working right throughout the day, right? And guys watch the basketball games, people are doing all kinds of stuff. I said, This is my this is my proposition. If I can take three of those hours that most people waste of the six hours, my, my life would exponentially change, and that's what I did. So when people are watching, you know, the basketball game, I'm probably typing the paper, right? Just because if I'm dreaming, just think about this. I'm watching people in the NBA who have achieved their lifelong dreams. So it is cognitive dissonance for me, just for me, to watch people achieve their dreams, and I have not. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would think that an intelligent person would say, hey, great, they're achieving their dreams. Let me go out while they're achieving their dreams, living their dreams. Let me go out and achieve mine. So that's a, that's the approach I took to life in the last 25 years. And I've been in school for 25 years straight. Mm.
0: <laughs> With no sign of stopping, right? No
1: sign of stopping.
0: You've made it to the top of the mountain. You have yes. your doctorate. Yes. Academia is a culture in itself. And I know you said that you advise those that are in pursuit of a PhD or even a master's degree. What do you say to that young soldier that comes in and says, I have these benefits. I wanna go to school. I just wanna knock it out to get points for promotion or "I, I need to finish it up so I can fulfill my commissioning obligation. What do you advise? when deciding how you pursue higher education, not just the fact that you should.
1: Well, you know, I have a a saying, you know, if your ship don't come in swim out to meet it, whatever starts you on that path for higher education, do it. It doesn't matter the reason, right? I didn't start out to get a doctorate degree. I actually thought I was too dumb to get a doctorate degree. But as I went through the process, I realized it's nothing but rope memory, right? It is. It, it's just rope memory. You you look at a piece of paper and you write down what's on the piece of paper and somebody gives you a grade. But my point, whatever you start out to do, whatever your reasons are behind that, just start off I and mean, you don't know where to lead to. I had no plans on being a college professor. Honestly I had no plans on being a colonel in the army in you know? a <laughs> I had no plans on being a chaplain. I was just working within my purpose, and those things those things came out. So
0: I know with the constraints and the pandemic, I've kind of deviated to an alternate course of action with my education. But part of the the mission of this podcast is to expose those who are contemplating higher education to continue along the path and look for opportunities that aren't right in front of them, that aren't you know, immediately in the education center on a poster, but to seek yeah. opportunities that put them in environments that prepare them for that transition, whether that be just you're, you're, at, you're at the end of your time of service or even if you're about to retire because the mindset that soldiers have, the mindset that service members have serve the private sector so well but you hit those glass ceilings because of educational limits. So that I'm gonna get off my soapbox and just ask you, what's what's next for you? Where do you see yourself in the next five years?
1: Well, as amazing as that, that question is, for me, you know, my my goal is to be a college president. Right? That has always been my goal in the last ten years. However. I've been moving and been so fast up the ranks in the military. Only God knows what will happen next to me in the next five years, right? So if I have to say, I want to be a college president at an HBCU uh, because when I went into Jarvis Christian College when I was a young 18 year old, I didn't have an SAT, I didn't have an ACT, I had a 1.99 grade point average and they accepted me on remedial status. So I want to give back to institutions like that. And when I went back there to speak, (laughs) it's amazing. A guy who was expelled from the school come back with, I mean, mounds of education and mounds of accomplishment. But they gave me a chance. So it would almost be hypocritical for me, I'm not to go back there and serve in that capacity to help those young kids who were just like myself. I mean, totally lost, had no clue about life anything. They accepted me and I'm here today because of that.
0: I love that. And that's mission and that's purpose. Yes. That is mission and purpose. Wow. So, are you tied to Jarvis? I think that's the million dollar question because you never know who's going to hear this interview, sir.
1: Yeah, I'm not tied to Jarvis. I mean, I've been breaking a lot of barriers in my life. But to go back, it it would be more problematic for them than to me uh, because... Islamic dude, you know, and and somehow, you know, stereotypically, they would say, oh, well, we can't let an Islamic dude be the head of Jarvis Christian College, right? So, because it's a privately owned institution, I think that could be a great resource for them. I would be their biggest cheerleader. But they have to get over those barriers, just like the army had to get over the barriers of okay, we got a Muslim chaplain. Who's going to listen to him? Who's going to talk to him? You know, they army had to get over that. And so now I'm, I'm serving in a three-star command. It's never been done before. It was the first Muslim division chaplain, first colonel in the United States Army history where all the service history has never had a rank. So I think if the school can get over themselves of what they think of me as opposed to what they see of me, then I could do it. And I would I would be tied to Darvis because, you know, uh, I love Darvis College, Darvis Christian College.
0: So while I have you, I'll ask you this, this last question. What's the value proposition? You have experience, extensive experience in the Christian faith. You practice and, and currently minister as an imam in the Islamic faith. Why should a sailor, why should a commander seek out guidance from you or another imam, if they want to communicate or bridge culturally, where's the value?
1: The value is I can get into places they can't get into. And one of the great things about being an imam, an American imam, with the culture of Christianity on my side, I can talk to the commanders, and like last year, I met the King of Kuwait and all of the emissaries and all the guys from the embassies. And I can speak the language. We're not just talking about Arabic. I can speak the cultural language of just a simple greeting of assalamu or, you know, talking about some of the nuances in the Islamic community that the commander can't speak because the commander doesn't even know about those. So. You know, everything in my life, or probably in yours, uh, I see it as a holistic thing. It's about interpersonal relationships. You know, years of deals may sit on the cabinet, but you have a guy like me who comes in. Like these, these. I mean, i got to be honest with you. It was frightening because, you know, there was so much tension in the room. You could feel it before I came in there. And then I come in, you know, you got the king of go wait. And I said, as alaykum, how are you? Right? And he was like, yes, my son! <laughs> right? So the tension was broken. You have this American dude who's an imam, who's a full-bird colonel in the United States Army. And so it's funny, the king of Kuwait, uh, he says to me, you, you, you look just like my son. I have to show you a picture. And I said, uh, sir, if I was really... Your son, why don't you leave me some inheritance? (laughs) Yeah, but those those relationships make things easier. From the Islamic side, I can serve as a, a huge asset. And then to my Christian brothers and sisters, you know, I go and speak at churches all the time. And I speak the language of the Christian. And so I can bridge the gap. You know, I wrote a book on Islam and Christianity. I wrote my piece of the similarities between Islam and Christianity. And then, you know, I've I've written books with Christian authors, you know, so I'm just I'm just a guy in the middle of the road trying to balance these two worlds for people. And uh, I've been fortunate to be able to do that.
0: Well, Chaplain, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Colonel Khalid Shabazz, Chaplain, thank you for joining us here on the Third Lieutenant.
1: Oh, thank you. See you on the road. See you on Facebook.
0: Colonel Shabazz, thank you for sharing. I believe your message will be received, Chaplain. And thank you for listening. If you want to reach out, ping me on Twitter at 3LT Strickland. That's at 3LT Strickland. Next month, join me as we hear the story of another service member right here on the 3rd Lieutenant. This message has been brought to you by a Manscaped Spa for Men pop-up. If you're experiencing a crisis or have a friend or family member in crisis, call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Press the number one for the military crisis line, or you can text 838255. I say again, 8 3 From our friends at a man's cave, Spa for Men pop up. Until next time, stay balanced and walk in peace.